The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be on the screen behind me also for you to be able to follow along as we go. Of course, we're here this morning. On this uh, day we call Easter because we celebrate a risen Savior. And uh, we probably all know the story here. It's, what, it's the fact that we're gathered on a Sunday morning and uh, that is what is taking place here. We probably understand that Jesus was born in that lowly manger, right? We, uh, we celebrate that at Christmas time, his birth. But then he lived a life that no other could ever live, a life that was perfect. And the reason why Jesus lived a perfect life is because Jesus is God, my friends. He's the Son of God, and in in being such, He lived on this earth just like you and I live, but perfect without sin. And uh, he lived all the, his life up into his 30s or so, and in around, uh, at around 30 years of age, he began to, to minister uh, in, his, in the regions around him. He would preach the uh, coming kingdom. He would teach about uh, uh, the life of a believer. He would do miracles and help others as uh, he came in contact with those with diseases and in needs. And uh, he did all of that, helping others, but yet people still, still hated him, right? We understand that he was taken into custody and he was beaten and the Bible tells us that he was whipped with a weapon called the cat of nine tails. It would be a whip that had nine different strands at the end of it and, and uh, at the end of each of, that, of those strands would have different, uh, different objects uh, like maybe bone or rock or uh, metals or something that might be able to win that whip was to strike the body of that individual, those pieces of, uh, uh, of metal or bone or whatever it was at the end would then sink into the flesh. And then when they pull on that uh, whip, it would rip the flesh open. And they beat and whip Jesus over and over and over again. Uh, and uh, then, of course, they said, well, you call yourself the king of the Jews, so where's your crown? And so they made him a crown of thorns and drove that into his head and ultimately put him on a cross and nailed his hands and his feet to that cross. And as he hung on that cross, as we sung about, and we just heard sung about here uh, in, the, in the song just a moment ago, he cried, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. Jesus, my friends, he did die. He was put in a tomb. And for most people, that would be the end of everything, right? For most, if, if, if we were to take our last breath today and we were to have that time of, of, uh, of a funeral service or to be put in the ground, uh, life as we know it here physically would be over for you and I. But for Jesus, that was not the end. For one day passed, and two days passed, and a third day passed. And on the third day, my friends, he rose from the dead, victorious and triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. The reason he's able to do that is because he's God. Again, he lived a perfect life because he's God. He rose because he's God, and he, he rose so that you and I might be able to have a relationship with him. Now, you came to church this morning on an Easter Sunday, probably expecting to be somewhere in the Gospels reading about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The the thing about it is we all understand that. That's why we're here today. And so instead of focusing on the actions that Jesus did on Resurrection Sunday, I want to focus on the results because of what he did on Resurrection Sunday. And as we look here in Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to notice with me picking up in verse number 4, it says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Our Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for your goodness and love. We thank you for the great service that you already gave us at nine, and the, uh, the folks that were able to join together and uh, worship you there, for the uh, time of fellowship and food in between. And now, Lord, this uh, service that we've already had, as we've sang praises unto you, the fact that you are our living hope, and uh, Lord, that you uh, have arose. And Lord, I ask now that you would just be honored and glorified through everything that is accomplished here today, that you give me the words to speak as we deliver this message. And Lord, I ask now that you uh, would uh, work a work that only you can do and that your will would be accomplished. For those of us who know you as our Savior already today, help us to just rejoice and uh, be joyful in our salvation. For anyone who might be here today that doesn't know you yet, would you just speak to their hearts? Would you give them the courage to respond to you today so that they might know you as their personal Savior? We love you and we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A man named William Dixon lived in England years ago. He was a widower who had also lost his only son, and so he was left alone in his home, no one else living with him, and he spent his days kind of lonely, trying to just fill the voids that were there uh, from the loss of his wife and the loss of his son. One day, he heard some commotion outside, and he looked out, and he noticed that one of his neighbor's homes was on fire. A crowd had already began to gather, but uh, William Dixon ran out to the street to find out if he could offer any help to those that were uh, impacted by this fire. And when he got there, he found that the woman of the home had already been rescue, rescued from the flames. However, her young son was still inside trapped. As he looked around trying to figure out ways that he might be able to be a help, he saw an iron pipe on the side of the home, and which he ran over to the, uh, to the side of the home, grabbed the iron pipe, and climbed up the pipe into the window and uh, grabbed the young boy, lowering him out the window into safety. When he came back out and after the boy was found to be safe and cared for, it came known that William Dixon's hand was severely burned. Because that home had been on fire, that iron pipe was scalding hot and had completely, um, pretty much melted the skin away from his hand. Years, a couple of years went by, and this woman whose house had burnt, she passed away. Now her son was left alone himself. He's only probably 10, 11, 12 years old at this time. So the townspeople are wondering, what are we going to do with this young man? Who's going to take care of him? So they got a committee together, a, a council together to decide who should be able to take care of this young man. And two individuals in the town had come forward offering assistance to care for him. One was a man who had a couple years earlier lost his son, and so he was looking to fill that void with maybe being the adoptive father of this young boy. So he stood before the council, and he gave his reasons as to why he should be able to father this young man who had found himself without a father or a mother at this point, to be able to take care of him and provide for him. And he pleaded his case and sat down. Then it came time for William Dixon to stand before that committee and to share why he should be the father and why he should be able to be the one that would take care of this young boy. And before William Dixon ever spoke a word, in fact, he didn't even speak a word. He just held up his hand that showed the scars from the burning from when he had saved him and sat back down. 
after the council had deliberated for a moment, they decided that William Dixon should be the one to take care of that young boy because he'd already proven through the sacrifice of his body that he would provide and take care of that young man. I'd say this morning that William Dixon, through his saving the young man from the fire and then offering to adopt the young man as his own, gave that young man a new life. Wouldn't you say so? I was out yesterday and was uh, going door to door, inviting people to the services today. And, and uh, as, the, as the day went on, the temperature got hotter. And as the temperature got hotter, I, it, just be, I mean, it just began to notice more and more that the season that we're in is bringing new life. As I walked from home to home, some people had some landscaping out in bushes and, and, and uh, flowers, and those flowers are blooming, and they're beautiful, and all, all the bushes are, are nice and green and getting full and things. And as I walked by one, the, uh, the bush was also had, uh, the bushes had some bees buzzing around them. And I, so I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. I wonder what they're, what, you know, if there's a nest in there. So I kind of got a little inquisitive, got a little closer until they started buzzing around me. And then I ran away real quick. Uh, but uh, I'm just saying all that to say the season that we're in and the signs that we're seeing, there's new life that is, that is being sprung up all around our area here uh, in, in this middle of April. Of course, we don't have much grass around here unless you purposefully plant it and then water it. But there's a lot of weeds in my yard. <laughs> And I'm going to have to take care of them tomorrow. It's just, again, proving new life. The young man got new life. Spring brings new life. And I'd submit to you this morning that Jesus Christ, he died and he rose again so that you might have new life, my friends. See, I want to draw your attention back up to the beginning of chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and look at verse number 1. Just quickly, we didn't read this yet. And if you have a Bible close to you, I just want, to look, I want you to look at it just closely. Verse number one, it says, and you hath he quickened, quickened means to make alive or to awaken. You hath he quickened who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. See, my friends, the Bible is clear that you and I as human beings in our sinful state without Jesus Christ are just simply dead in our sin. When it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to the spiritual side of how we are made, we are all made in the image of God. The Bible is clear about that. And so when it comes to the spiritual side of our life, in sin, when we're born, we're dead. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, for as one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So every single one of us, just by the cause of us being born, are born with a sin nature. We're born as sinners. And as such, we're dead in our sinful state, dead in our spiritual life without Jesus Christ. But that's why we celebrate Easter, my friends. Because Easter is not some concept of humanity. Easter is not some concept of being able to give us a three or a four-day weekend. Easter is not some concept just to have a good uh, lunch in the afternoon or a special occasion to be able to buy a new dress or uh, a new outfit. Easter is celebrated truly because Christ rose. And because he rose, we can have new life. My friends, the passage before us this morning tells us that by grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so I want to discuss this morning the salvation of mankind. Yeah, Jesus died. He rose again. We celebrate that. But what is the results of his rising again? The result can be the salvation of your soul today. 
Number one, I want you to notice with me the gift of salvation. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me, please. Verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy and His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Now, my friends, how many of you have ever... I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to respond. And uh, the quicker you respond, the quicker we can move on and the quicker you can get to lunch, all right? So here's what I'm asking, all right? How many of you have ever received a gift before? Raise your hand. All right, that's a pretty good response right there. I would have to admit, I would think everyone here has probably received a gift at some point in our life, right? Now, when you receive the gift, you're the receiver. Then the person who gave the gift, they are the giver of the gift. Which one of you, the giver or the receiver, bought the gift? The giver, obviously. The giver bought the gift. So in order to give a gift, you've got to have the resources to buy or provide for that gift. Now, when, especially when my wife and I were just married, we didn't have a lot of provision or resources to be able to provide gifts for each other. And although I obviously wanted to, I wanted to give her every, I wanted her to have that huge diamond ring and, and uh, the uh, nicest a car to drive around in and flowers every day. You say, oh, you're such a good husband. I know, I know. Should, somebody <laughs> should remind my wife of that sometimes. But uh, you know, what I'm saying is I wanted to, but I didn't have the resources to. So a lot of, especially in the early days, a lot of our gifts to each other were handmade or, or something crafty or whatever the case might be. And some of you might say, well, that's better than a bot gift. That's true. There's some thought that goes into it. But you need some resources to do handmade stuff and crafting stuff also, like talent, <laughs> which I don't have, all right? <laughs> but the thought is I wanted to give something and to give it, I had to have the resources to do so. Now, understand, this salvation is a gift of God. Now, He has all the resources necessary to give and all the authority to give that salvation as well. Notice with me the authority of this gift of salvation in verse number four. But God, this gift of salvation doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from the church. It doesn't come from a religion. Listen to me, my friends. I don't know everybody's background here. But salvation doesn't come through the Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopalian, Pentecostal, you name them all. Salvation doesn't come through any denomination. The Bible tells us that salvation is of God. Amen. And listen to me. So the authority to give salvation comes from Him alone. And the reason why He has authority to give it is because He has the resources to give it. Notice what the verse continues to say. But God, who is rich in mercy. Now, we, I want to make sure we all understand what mercy is. Mercy is not receiving something we deserve. That's what it means. Mercy is not receiving something we deserve. So if I were to pull, leave the parking lot here, and maybe I go north on Mosin, or maybe I go west on Ramsey, and I'm speeding down Mosin or Ramsey Road. Now, you guys are looking at me all you know, crooked-eyed and everything. Don't act like you don't speed down Mosin or Ramsey yourself. <laughs> It's a straight shot. It's just, it's wide open. You, not, not even purposeful. It just happens, folks. All right, listen. But uh, you say you're, you're, say I'm speeding down most in a Ramsey, and the sheriff sees me, and he flips on his light, pulls me over. Now, because I was speeding, what do I deserve? A ticket, a speeding ticket. Now, if for whatever reason he decides to give me a warning or to let me go without getting a ticket, guess what that is? That's mercy. That's mercy, not receiving something that I deserve. And notice that the, the, the Lord is said to have the authority to give salvation because he's rich in mercy. You know what we as sinners deserve? 
We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. We deserve the justice that comes along with the crime. However, God, who is rich in mercy, offers salvation to us freely. We'll see that He's rich in grace in just a little bit also, but we understand the gift of salvation is given because of His authority. And when I think about that, I mean, consider the amazing thought, the amazement that is found in this gift of salvation as well. I mean, have you ever pondered it? The, the, the amazing aspect of God's amazing grace, His gift to us. He said, freely, I'm going to give you this gift of salvation. It's an amazing thought. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. Now, if you're here this morning and you know Christ as your personal Savior, you ought to be in awe of the fact that He would save you. And you might be sitting here today and you might be wondering, I don't know that I know Christ. I don't, I don't know that heaven's my home. And, and you're thinking, how in the world could he love someone like me? That's the amazing thing about it. He loves us. And in his great love and in his rich mercy, he desires for us to be saved. And notice the awakening in this gift of salvation in verse number five as well. It says, even when we were dead in sins, dead in sins, It says in verse number five, hath quickened us together. That word quickened again, it means to make alive or to awaken. And so man who was dead in in the trespasses and sins, dead spiritually, no means of improving their own life, no means of taking care of the debt on their own. He gives them life and life more abundantly. New life, if you may. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, if I were to see someone raised physically from the dead, That'd be an astonishing thing. And while he's not necessarily talking about a physical awakening or a physical uh, resurrection here, he's talking about a spiritual one, a dead spirit, a dead soul in need of a Savior who was turned to him and made alive, new life given through Jesus Christ. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. My friends, we see the gift of salvation. Number two, notice with me the glory of salvation in verses six through seven. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, salvation is a glorious thing, my friends. And that we see several things pointed out in how glorious it is. I want you to notice with me that it's glorious because of the power to give salvation. Now, again, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but it goes, it, it must be stated that the only one who has the power to offer salvation is God himself. And we see this picked up again in verse number six. He hath raised us up together. Now, listen, I've done plenty of funerals uh, in my time here as a uh, pastor already. That's an unfortunate thing. But I'm telling you, if I were to stand there and say, arise, no one's coming out of that coffin. And I'm going to have some pretty upset family members with me as well, thinking, what are you trying to do here, dude? But what I am saying here is, my friends, Jesus arose. He's alive today. And because of that, he has the power to give us life, life everlasting. Romans 6 and 4 says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. But it's, salvation is a glorious thing, not because, only because of the power that he provides it with, but salvation is a glorious thing because of the position he places us in as well. 
Notice the, our position in salvation in the latter part of verse number six. It says, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know everybody's living situation, and I'll just be honest. The Lord has blessed me. He's given me a good home. But I promise you this, it's not the nicest one in Sierra Vista. And you might be here today, and you might be able to say that you have the nicest house in Sierra Vista or its surrounding areas. But I can tell you this, it's probably not as nice as Elon Musk's. It's probably not as nice as Bill Gates or his 47 others that he owns, right? Whatever the case might be. We, are, we might have some nice things, but let's all agree that we don't have the best of it yet. Right? Right? We're, we're, we've got nice things, we're not complaining about it, but we don't necessarily have the best. But here's what the Bible says. When we trust Jesus, who has the power to rise from the dead, when we trust Jesus, who has the power to give us salvation, when we trust Jesus and, and say, Lord, I believe that you died for me and you, you will provide for me a home in heaven, notice the latter part of verse number six. He made us to sit together where? In heavenly places. Give me, yeah, there we go. Uh, give us, sits together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I've never seen heaven with my eyes yet. One day I will. When I take my last breath, or Jesus calls me home, I will see it, and I'll spend eternity with Jesus face to face. But the Bible does give me a little bit of information about what heaven is like. And can I tell you that the Bible says that heaven is so amazing, that heaven is so awesome, that it uses gold as its pavement? It has streets of gold. Now, if a place can be able to lay gold for the area which a vehicle or people would walk upon, the value of everything else there must be pretty extravagant. And the Bible says this, that Jesus who has died and who has the power to rise again physically, who has the power to offer us salvation so that we as uh, in our spirit might be able to live again and have new life, he's preparing for us to live in heavenly places. So that means to me, my friends, that I've got something amazing and wonderful waiting for me. And that's the glory of salvation. The fact that he would take someone as unworthy as I and, and, and prepare for me a place. In fact, that's what Jesus' own words were. Jesus' words in the gospel was, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I go, you may be there also. And my friends, he's preparing a place for the one who calls upon him in salvation. And notice that brings us to the promise of sal in salvation in verse number seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. We haven't experienced heaven, but we will. And that's the promise that we wait upon. In Revelation 21, verses 2 through 3, it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and I will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And notice, as, we, as we've read verses 5, 6, and 7, I can't help but also notice the perfection in salvation. How many of you have ever had a plan that you thought you've thought everything through, but the plan didn't work out, right? Anybody, like, anybody want to admit to that? I've been there. I can promise you today, I'll, I'll, I'll be transparent enough with you today to say this. We had plans for things to go certain ways today, and they didn't exactly go as we planned. 
You said, well, I didn't see any. I didn't see anything to think about that didn't go right. We try to cover it up as best as we can, but I promise you, <laughs> there's some things that didn't go exactly perfect because we're all human, right? And our plans are just going, will fail at times, but God's plan is perfect. It will never fail. Every aspect of what he has put into place and what he's going to accomplish is going to happen because his plans are perfect. And let me close with this before we go home this morning. Not only have we seen the gift and the glory of salvation, but thirdly notice the grace of salvation. Verses 8, 9, and 10. I won't take time to read them again since we've already read them once, and we'll pick them up as we come along here this morning. But have, have, you, ever been th- have, have you ever sat there and maybe thought, like, how could I be saved? Like, how could I know that salvation is mine? How could I know that, that heaven would be my home? How in the world could I ever experience that great love? Well, verse part of verse number eight gives us the means of salvation, how we obtain it. Verse number eight says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Now, in the earlier verse, in verse number four, it says, God who was rich in mercy. Mercy is what? Not receiving something we deserve. Now, in verse number seven, it says, show the exceeding riches of his grace. And in verse number eight, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith. So if mercy is not receiving something we deserve, then grace means this. Grace means receiving something we don't deserve, getting something that we have not earned. So for instance, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, and the Bible says he did it for the whole world. In, in John chapter 3, in verse number 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The whole world, not just the, the globe, not just the trees and, and the, the, the nature and things. When it says He loved the whole world, it's talking about the individuals who make up the world. Are you an individual that makes up the world, yes or no? Absolutely. So that means He loves you today. And because He loved you, He died for you. Now God, the creator of everything, God, who is perfect, loved you and I, who are not perfect, loved us enough to die for us and rise again so that we could be saved. Now, is that a gift that we deserve? It's not. And truly, it's not. Not the way that we have treated him oftentimes. Not the way that we live oftentimes, right? It's not something we do, but he gave it to us anyways. And the Bible says that by grace are you saved through faith. Now, that word saved is having a home in heaven, trust, have, knowing for sure that you, you know, Christ is your Savior, of course, having eternal life. What about faith? What is faith? How do I have faith? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen Jesus or God face-to-face in the flesh in a physical being? Obviously not. He's, he's in heaven today, and we know that He's alive uh, but we've not seen him physically uh, before us. However, though, you might be saying, then if you've never seen him physically, how do you know he's real? Let me, you ask, let me ask you another question then. Have you ever seen the wind? Have you ever seen the wind? You've not seen the wind. So how do you know the wind is real? You feel the effects of it, right? A couple of weeks ago, we had the Roundup Sunday, big tent back here, right? Everybody's sitting this way and the wind blowing this way. You felt the effects of the wind pretty good that day. 
blowing dust and everything else up into our faces, and it was a crazy day, blowing hats off of people, blowing bounce houses over across the fence and everything. It was a crazy day. Anybody who would say the wind isn't real obviously did not attend the Roundup Sunday. <laughs> yeah, we can't see the wind, but we know it's real because we experience the evidences of it. And the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So how do I know that God is real then? Because, although I haven't seen him face to face, I haven't seen him physically, I have experienced the evidences of a, of a creator God. It, it, it's hard. I, I'd submit this morning it takes a lot more faith to believe that all that we have today came from a big explosion than from a divine creator. It does. I, I, I just can't. It would take more faith for me to believe that an explosion that destroys things created all of this than for a divine, intelligent creator to have done it. So I see the evidences of creation. I see the evidence of changed lives. People who used to not know Christ and now have come to know Him in their lives that have been changed, in miracles that have been accomplished, in people's lives through, uh, through healings and, and, and health and all that type of thing. My friends, I, I believe He's real because of faith. And we find here that the Bible says how we can have the means of salvation is by grace through faith. Notice the merit in salvation, though, in verses 8 through 9. It says in verse number 8, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now listen, my friends, we don't have any merit to earn it ourselves. It clearly says that right there. Not of our own works, not of our own selves. We can't do anything for it. And we find lastly this, this morning the the majesty in this salvation. In verse number 10, it says, we are all, we are his workmanship, created Christ Jesus unto good works. You understand this morning, my friends, the fact that Jesus didn't just save us and then leave us. How many of you ever played Monopoly? Anybody ever receive a get out of jail free card? Jesus didn't save us just to give us a get out of hell free card. He saved us to partner with Him. He saved us to be able to see Him work in our lives. And when we trust Him as our Savior, He doesn't leave us here having to wander through this life to try to figure out on our own. The Bible says He left us a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be able to partner with so that we might be able to accomplish His work and will. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The salvation of mankind came through, comes from, from only one, and that's Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your personal Savior, would you not rejoice over the amazing love that He's given to you? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, do you understand how much He loved you, enough to die for you? I, I don't think there's many of us who have enough love for individuals to where we would die for them. Maybe our, our husband, our wife, maybe our children, maybe parents or something. But once we get outside the realm of immediate family, I probably wouldn't die for somebody else. But Jesus, Jesus died for everyone, everyone, because he loves you. Can I invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, here? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Out of respect of others, no one looking around, please, with their heads bowed and eyes closed. How many would say, Pastor, I know for sure that I am saved, and I know that heaven is my home. I know that Jesus is my personal Savior. 
Could I just rejoice with you? If you'd slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony to that, I know that I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. There's hands all across this auditorium, and I praise God for that. You can put your hands down. But I want to ask another question. And maybe you're here this morning, and you could not just raise your hand. And you're not sure that heaven is your home. You don't know that Jesus is your personal Savior. And you say, Pastor, just please pray for me. Now, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Because everyone who just raised their hand was in your position at one point in life. And they recognized that they needed Jesus. And so they trusted him as their savior. And if you're here today and you say, I just, I'm not 100% sure that Jesus is my savior. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that, but I want to pray that the Lord would give you the courage to be able to speak to someone so they could show you from his word, the word of God, how you could know him as your personal savior. So if you're here this morning and you say, pastor, just please pray for me because I don't know for sure that heaven is my home and that Jesus is my savior. Would you just quickly slip your hand up and write back down? I'd like to pray for you. Anybody like that here this morning? Don't be uh, scared. Don't be, don't be dis, uh, uh, discouraged here this morning. If you're here and say, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven is my home. I just want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up and write back down. Then one last question. Who here would say, pastor, I know that I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. But as busy as today might be, please pray with me that I'll never forget to thank God for his goodness and salvation, providing salvation for me. Could I pray for you also this morning? Hands all across this auditorium. I'm going to pray. Then the piano is going to begin to play. If the Lord spoke into your heart and you want to come here to the front and uh, kneel and bow before him and, and just respond as he's spoken to you, you're welcome. Or maybe right there in your seat, you'd lift up your heart to him and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for saving me. I want to thank you for dying and rising again for me. Our Father, we thank you for this morning, your goodness and your love. I'd ask now that you'd have your will and your way in this invitation. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano plays, the altars are open. If the Lord's spoken to your heart and you'd like to come, you're welcome. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're not sure about your salvation. You, whether you raised your hand, maybe you didn't raise your hand, that's neither here nor there. But you're here and you know for sure that uh, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. You're not 100% sure that heaven is your home. Now, I, again, am not wanting to embarrass you, and there should be nothing to be embarrassed about because everyone here that knows Christ already at some point had to trust him. There's no one born saved. There's no one born and, this, uh, and, and, and just comes uh, into this life perfect or comes into this life already forgiven by the Lord. It is something we must receive from him. And so everyone who has already received his salvation and love had, has been in that position at one point. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you to do one of two things. Either one, right now, where you're at, slip out of your seat, come here to the front, get my attention so I can have someone show you from God's Word how you can know for sure that heaven is your home. If you're un un uncertain about doing that, as we dismiss, I'll be standing right out there in the hallway and be shaking hands and greeting people. And if you're not sure that, that heaven is your home and that Christ is your personal Savior, as I shake your hand, you can say, Pastor, I just need to know how I can be saved. I would have someone show you from the Word of God. Just right, the, right in there and, and slip up to another room to be able to show you from His Word how you can know for sure that heaven is your home. We're going to play through this stanza just one last time right here, and then we're going to get ready to be dismissed and move out there for the children so that they can participate in this uh, candy hunt. But if the Lord spoke in your heart, I hope that you respond to Him accordingly today.